Yellow again, everybody. Lance Russell and Dave Brown right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sully, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Cheers, another outstanding card. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. I am your host, Ray Russell, and it feels good to be back after a brief hiatus. Felt more like a high ninus, but I am back, feeling a little better, getting better every day, I'm happy to say. And this week here on Regional Wrestling, we're going to jump back in to 1986 in the Mid-South Wrestling Territory. And joining me in just a few minutes for this episode, we're going to bring back Roman Gomez as guest co-host as we continue to navigate our way through 1986 and Bill Watts's Mid-South and soon-to-be UWF Territory. Last we left off, we were in the middle of January of 1986. We're going to pick things up here this week with January 18th TV again in just a little bit. I look forward to talking all about that. And hopefully we'll even have a little time to jump into the January 31st results for the Sam Houston Coliseum as well. Lots of things happening in the latter half of January for 1986 in Mid-South. But before we get there, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, as well as our sister shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade and Monday Warfare. It's all about Raw vs. Nitro, the weekly chronicle of the Monday Night War. You can listen to all of those shows and more over at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and everywhere. Your podcast streaming needs are met from Apple to Spotify, Google, and beyond. Plus, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at WrestlingGrenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like us at Facebook.com slash WrestlingGrenade. You can follow us on our social media for all the latest goings on at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And I'm also constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find us there at youtube.com slash wrestling grenade, uploading new footage all the time as I continue to preserve my old VHS collection by converting it all to digital. And yes, that does include 1986 episodes of Mid-South Wrestling. In fact, guys, I started from the beginning and dropping every episode of Mid-South Wrestling as well as the B-Show power pro wrestling to my youtube channel you guys can go check that out again youtube.com slash wrestling grenade i believe i'm up to somewhere in the middle of march dropping all the tv in chronological order so you guys can follow along with us if you see fit should also mention now is a great time to become a wrestlecopia patron and you can find us there at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia that address again is patreon.com slash wrestle c-o-p-i-a i have multiple tiers for you to choose from but I only ask you guys to give it a try at that $5 all-access tier. Get you all sorts of gifts for just $5, including all of my insanely detailed show notes for the Wrestling Memory Grenade Monday Warfare, and now the Regional Wrestling Podcast as well. You'll also receive early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia. You can listen days, sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. That's not all, though, guys. Remastered versions of the earliest episodes of the Wrestling Memory Grenade Show covering the 1989 NWA project, including enhanced sound quality and new content and conversations originally edited out of the initial broadcast due to time restraints, edited right back into the show. 
But that's still not all. You'll also receive digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, and of course, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday night's main events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more. And as of late, guys, I've even been dropping some random videos for your viewing pleasure. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5 a month. It's the early access, insanely detailed show notes for three of our podcast shows, plus the Patreon-exclusive watch-alongs, remastered episodes with new content edited in, digital downloads, and so much more for just $5. No subscription. Cancel any time. If you got a couple of dollars sitting in your PayPal account or a couple bucks burning a hole in your pocket, I would greatly appreciate it if you guys could show your support to the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. Give our Patreon a try for a month. I think you'll like the content we offer, and every penny of it goes right back in to the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So please, if you guys can, help me keep these shows up and running for the months and the years to come. And with all of that out of the way, we're going to bring him back again here this week. Had so much fun talking to him. The last couple times he's been on the show, had to bring him back again as we continue on through 1986 and the Universal Wrestling Federation, or right now still Mid-South Wrestling, bring him back on right now. He is the former co-host of the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast. Please welcome back to the show one more time, Mr. Roman Gomez. Uh, it's been great going back in the time machine these last two podcasts, and I'm looking forward to talking about UWF some more. Roman, I know it's been a little bit since we've been able to get together, but we are back together now, and I'm looking forward to tackling the remainder of January here in 1986 here today on the program. Oh, me too. I mean, they, they started off the year right, and uh, things are going to get better as the year progresses. I'm looking forward to it as well. Yeah, things are going to get even hotter here this week, and we finished up last week with the weekend of January 11th TV. This week, we pick up with January 18th, Mid-South Wrestling, tape back January 1st at the Tulsa Fairgrounds Pavilion, Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's Jim Ross and Joel Watts on commentary yet again. As we kick off the show, we see Jim Ross in the ring for an interview with the new North American champion, Dick Slater. And of course, as we know, Dick Slater has already beaten Butch Reed. We saw that on TV, but he actually beat Butch Reed earlier in the same TV taping. And Slater says he doesn't care about the Mid-South's rules. He might be the North American champion, but he's going to wrestle in this TV title finals against Jake the Snake Roberts as well and hold both belts. By God, not if the Cowboy has anything to say about it. As we're off to the ring for the TV title finals, it is Jake the Snake Roberts taking on Dick Slater with Dark Journey in his corner. So the rules here in Mid-South is you can't hold the TV title belt and the North American title simultaneously, which Butch Reed did back in October when he won the North American title. So Reed was then forced to vacate the TV title for this very tournament. And we fast forward here to the finals. It's Jake the Snake versus the new North American champion, Dick Slater, meaning if Slater wins the tournament here, the title would immediately become vacant, barring yet another tournament. And if you think I'm making this up, Bill Watts confirmed so last week on Power Pro. And we talked about this at length, Roman, at the end of the last show we did. And it's just silly to repeatedly do this. We did it with Terry Taylor back last March, then Butch Reed in October. And now they tease vacating the title a third time in less than a year. That would have been absolutely horrible to do that. I mean, we can look back now all these years later and kind of see that what direction they were going in, you know, they, it would have been horrible to back themselves in a corner and do yet another tournament. And before we get going into the matchup, let's look at who these guys defeated to get here. Jake Roberts got here defeating the likes of 
Hot Stuff, Eddie Gilbert, Ricky Gibson, and then that DQ victory over Buzz Sawyer in the semifinals. Meanwhile, Dick Slater beat the likes of Al Perez, plus Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and Jim Duggan on a DQ in the semifinals as well. And here we are. It's Jake Roberts versus Dick Slater in the finals of the TV title tournament. And as the match begins, Slater jumps Jake to start and sends him outside to knock the snake a little loopy. Then once back inside, Slater working over Roberts, nailing the swinging neckbreaker and a middle rope elbow to the skull of a standing snake man. But Jake is clearly out on his feet momentarily here. Finally, though, Jake countering a Slater pile driver attempt with a big backdrop and a reverse atomic drop. Both men then down on the mat, but Jake coming right back with a patented series of jabs and that big knee lift. Going to score the one, the two, but Dark Journey gets involved to stop the count this time. And Jake then chasing Journey around ringside, leading to Slater attacking him from behind. As Dick rolls Jake back inside, continuing to work him over, Slater looking for a suplex, but Jake makes the counter. And it's the DDT out of nowhere, getting the one, the two, and the three. Your winner and new Mid-South TV champion, Jake the Snake Roberts. And he did it in just four minutes and 45 seconds. Jake Roberts holding up the TV medallion. Wait, a medal? Still? Come on, Bill. We're going national here. Uh, But Watts will rectify that pretty soon. Jake the Snake Roberts winning the TV title, pinning the North American champion in the process. Yeah, two things I was a little disappointed in, like you alluded to, still having a medallion. You know, you're supposed to be big time and you're giving the guy a necklace. And then the other was the length of the match. You got two great workers in Jake and Slater. The title, the tournament, excuse me, has been going on for months and it's wrapped up in less than five minutes, which was kind of surprising to me. Yeah, a short match here, which I also questioned myself, but at least... We have a North American champion and a TV champion coming out of this. That is the one thing I was happy about. But again, going back, I also was shocked how quickly the match ended. Yeah, it seemed like, like you said, it came out of nowhere. But Jake is a TV champion. I mean, Jake was one of those guys that you were going to pay attention to, whether he had a title or not. But it is kind of cool as a fan to see somebody as awesome as Jake actually finally get some gold. Yeah, and the takeaway out of the finish for me was the DDT can be hit out of nowhere. You don't have to have a 20-minute match for it to put you away. So if anything came out of this, at least you know the DDT is deadly five minutes into the match or 20 minutes into the match. Exactly. Just like his knee lift, you know, it was just so sudden and can come out of nowhere. Yeah, really wise uh, moves Jake the Snake put together over the years here. And they continue, they're going to continue to build this into a pretty big feud here moving forward, including some localized promos coming up. Heading into the commercial break is Jake the Snake Roberts. He's not done with Dick Slater yet, looking to collect that North American title. Meanwhile, on the other end, Slater, not happy he lost it all to Jake the Snake. Slater wanting both belts. Let's listen to both sides. A guy like me, a guy with my background, a guy with my lifestyle, a guy with my habits, doesn't get a lot of shots at the National Heavyweight Championship. Now, Dick Slater, everybody knows how tough you are. Everybody knows what kind of man you are. And Journey, she does look fine. I'll let you know that right now. But see, she has nothing to do with this. You are the champion for a short time. You see, because when you step in that ring with the snake, man, nobody's going to take me out. There's a long list of fools that thought they were going to take me out. Slater, I'm coming at you. For the gold, my man, for the gold. You know, that looks just about as good as you do, and almost better. 
Now let me tell you something right now. I told the people in the Mid-South area when I got here I was going to accomplish something and now I have accomplished it all. This is the prime, prime title holder of all times. Now a lot of good men have held this title but a lot of good men have not put my back down on the mat for it for the one, two, three. And now, Jake the Snake Roberts, the DDT I have to confront to keep this title around my waist. Well, you're not going to DDT me, Jake Roberts, and you're not going to DDT Journey, and you're not going to take this from around my baby's waist because she's going to wait a long, long time. All right, so Slater gunning for that TV title. Even though he has the top title, his ego can't let him go with that loss to Jake the Snake. Slater coming for the TV title belt as well. Meanwhile, Jake obviously wants the big gold, and I mean literally the big gold belt of the North American title. Yeah, a couple cool interesting things with this is that Slater could come at it with the angle of revenge. He wants to get Jake back for beating him for the TV title. Jake is basically the number one contender now. Fans have seen that Jake can beat Slater, so they'd want to see it. There's a lot of working parts in this matchup between Jake and Slater. But the show rolls on. Lots of other talent here to look at on this edition of Mid-South. And we head back to the ring. It's Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer taking on Steve Dahl. And they build Steve Dahl here as a 19-year-old rookie, at least according to Jim Ross. But actually, I did a little digging. And I believe Steve Dahl closer to 26 years old here, at least according to the research I did. But it's wrestling, guys, and we stretch those things. As we get to the ring, though, Dahl surprises Buzz early on with a running crossbody. But boy, does he pay dearly for it. Very dangerous power slam off the middle rope by Buzz Sawyer, nearly breaking Dahl's neck in the process. Sawyer going to get the win here in one minute and 29 seconds. Steve Dahl, who always reminded me a little bit of Shawn Michaels facially. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were saying he was 19. And, you know, you had mentioned he's closer to 26. They would later on go on to do that with Shane Douglas. They would claim he was a 19-year-old television champion, you know, the youngest TV champion. And in their history, but he was a little bit older than that. Had to be a Bill Watts thing. Yeah, I guess, you know, and hey, it's just kind of like Latin baseball. You know, you get these Dominican players that they claim are 20 years old, but are more like 24, 25. (laughs) True that, true that. So Buzz Sawyer puts away Steve Dahl with ease here, and post-match, Sawyer not done yet, continues to destroy poor Steve Dahl until Hacksaw Butch Reed hits the ring to put a stop to it. Reed confronts Sawyer after their recent match. We'll talk about that later on an edition of Power Pro. But Reed out here to stop the punishment on poor Steve Dahl. But from behind, it's Dick Murdoch attacking Hacksaw Butch Reed. But why? According to Jim Ross on commentary, Murdoch versus Reed was scheduled up next on the program. And ah, now it all makes sense. And to the outside, Murdoch sends Reed. Murdoch then with a brain buster on Butch Reed on the concrete floor. Oh my God, says Joey Styles. And remember, Roman, Butch had already suffered that neck injury from the spike pile driver of Dick Slater and Ric Flair a while back. He'd been wearing the neck brace, and now Reed taking that brain buster out on the floor. Reed out there quivering as he's checked on by officials. Murdoch just calmly walking away while the Mad Dog leaving all smiles from ringside. And this, unfortunately, is the last we see of Butch Reed in the Mid-South Wrestling Territory. And the brain buster made sense, you know, like you said. Butch had a history of neck problems, you know, story-wise and everything. And the Brain Buster was a dangerous move done inside the ring. But then when you factor that it's done outside on the concrete, it just made it seem so much more believable in how dangerous that move was. Right. And we saw what it did to Ted DiBiase, but you couple the factor of Reed was already working with neck injuries here. And now 
Dick Murdoch drops him outside. And we're going to see even more that led into this on an upcoming edition of Power Pro. So it all makes sense that they're telling the story that Butch Reed will not be back. And uh, it's believable when we get there. Exactly. I mean, what a vicious maneuver to take by somebody like Dick Murdoch, you know, to apply that to Butch Reed. And the show goes on. We get some more localized promo for the Houston market, upcoming bunkhouse battle royal there. We're going to hear promos from Eddie Gilbert, Porkchop Cash, Dick Murdoch, who says he and Dick Slater will split the $25,000 purse and go honky-tonking all night long, Roman. Something tells me they did that with or without the 25 Gs. Yeah, Murdoch was going to have a good time, whether he was the first one eliminated or the last one eliminated. Murdoch was going to have his good time. So the show continues on here. It's Joel Watts and Jim Ross discussing the injury we just saw to Hacksaw Betreed and the match with Dick Murdoch now being canceled, officially canceled, if there was ever a doubt. So it's back to the ring for a standby match featuring hot stuff Eddie Gilbert still with Oliver Humperdinck taking on Tommy Wright here. Tommy Wright counters a hot shot into a Fez press here to change it up a little bit, and I like that. But the second time is the charm for Eddie Gilbert. Hot shot connects this time around. Eddie Gilbert going to get the quick win, two minutes and 39 seconds. Throwaway match, but big things coming for hot stuff very soon. And I always thought the hot shot was kind of an underrated maneuver. You know, it was neat that it looked cool and it was something that you really didn't see people do back then. So it was kind of innovative. Yeah. When it was hit right and when the guy took it right, it it could look very devastating getting dropped across that top rope. They've always said, you know, that the ropes were steel encased in rubber. So just imagine somebody getting dropped throat first onto basically steel. And I, I love that even though Tommy Wright, not one of the big stars here, they, they just kind of threw us for a loop. We thought we were going to see the hot shot quickly into the matchup, but he turns it into a Thez press, showing that there is a counter out there. But Eddie Gilbert comes back and second times the charms this week. Going to pick up the win with that hot shot as we head into another commercial break. More Houston promos for the big upcoming tag team matchup between Dick Murdoch and the Masked Superstar. Going to take on tag team champions Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death Steve Williams. Let's listen to both sides. You see this man right here. He's probably one of the greatest athletes today in the world. Not only a professional wrestler, a mass superstar. And I called him long distance, asking him to come in here to help me settle one thing. The DiBiase and Dr. Death Steve Williams feud. And I'll guarantee you what, this man right here, Steve Williams, has got more credentials than you've ever thought about having. You know, I don't have to worry about Dick Murdoch. All he wants me to do is keep you out of there, Dr. Death. You picked up a nickname by bumping heads in football. Well, you and I are going to bump heads in the ring. And this man's going to take care of you, DiBiase. No more crying, no more phone calls. When he gets you all by yourself, because, Dr. Death, you're going to be having your hands full with me. You're not going to be involved in the match. It's just going to be Ted and Murdoch. He's internationally known, known around the world. He says he's in Mid South for a reason. He's on a mission, but he's not going to tell anybody. Well, I know you, mass superstar, and I know what your mission is. You're a bounty hunter. You're a man that goes to the highest bidder. You try to end people's career, break their legs, break their necks, and send them their own way. And nobody knows what that's about better than Ted DiBiase, because yes, I've been there. But I've learned a valuable lesson, Dick Murdoch, because of you. Because when I was laying flat on my back, not knowing whether I'd ever wrestle again, because you tried to take my livelihood away from me, I found out that money's not everything, and you can't buy friends. Well, I'll tell you something, Murdoch. What goes around, comes around. And brother, yours is coming around. And superstar... This is what you got to handle right here. All right. And coming out of those sound bites, DiBiase says, and I thought this was hilarious. The future million dollar man says, money is not everything, Roman. You can't buy friends. <laughs> yeah. Kind of ironic how things would turn out a few years later. 
DiBiase also referring to the Masked Superstar as a bounty hunter. So that's the role he's playing as Dick Murdoch's partner here. As we head back to the ring, Terry Taylor in action up against Lord Humongous, accompanied to the ring by Oliver Humperdinck. And Taylor shows off a lot of fight early on, but it's Humongous overpowering Terry, throwing him around early on in the matchup. Taylor, though, comes fighting back, but elbows Humongous in the mask and hurts himself in the process. So Humongous takes back over, trying for that Shinonomaki, the Cobra Clutch hold, but Taylor slipping out and gouges the eye holes of the hockey mask. Red Rooster pecking at the eye holes of Humongous, but in all seriousness, pretty clever spot there. When all else fails, do what you got to do. Very creative. You know, it's the David Goliath type thing. You know, Taylor was a lot smaller than Humongous, so he had to do what he had to do to gain an advantage. And with Humongous somewhat blinded and dazed, Terry Taylor runs off the ropes looking for that big five arm, but he's tripped up from Oliver Humperdinck on the outside. And then Humperdinck up on the apron. Terry Taylor confronting the manager as Humongous charged from behind. But Terry sidesteps, and Humongous collides into Oliver Humperdinck. Terry then up onto the middle rope with a flying five arm. Going to connect. Terry Taylor pinning Lord Humongous in two minutes and 30 seconds. So last week, it was the nightmare. This week, Humongous doing the job for Terry Taylor. Both guys on their way out of the Mid-South Territory. Taylor gets back-to-back week wins here over Humperdinck's guys. And Humongous putting Terry Taylor over here on his way out. But it was believable with Taylor seizing the moment. Clark Kent body, Superman heart. Exactly. And that five arm, what I liked about it was Taylor, when he hit it, it was always snug. You know, oh, yeah. and it, he it laid it seemed, in. Yeah, he always laid it in real good. And uh, if you had a casual wrestling fan or a friend that was over watching it, they would look at that and go, all right, maybe some of wrestling is kind of real, you know, because Taylor was very snug. Yeah, Taylor laying it in there, and I just love that whole seizing the moment thing. He was going for the five arm, gets tripped up. Humongous collides into Oliver Humperdinck. We have a little bit of a, a downtime there. Humongous stumbling around the ring. Taylor not just hitting the five arm, but this is a big guy. He has time to climb to the middle rope, so he's going to do so. And he lays in his finisher from the middle rope, so you presume it hurt even more, Roman. And just enough time to get the one, the two, and the three. Really clever finish there for Terry Taylor to beat the big monster Humongous before Jeff Van Camp calls it a career. Yeah, Taylor was definitely uh, on the upswing. You know, these last couple weeks indicated that. And it's back into the commercial break, which means another localized promo for upcoming events in Houston. Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer slated to take on Terry Taylor. We're going to hear from the Mad Dog. Terry Taylor comes in here from the Superstation trying to be a big shot. Hey, brother, I've been to Superstation, too. I don't have to come nowhere and try to be a big shot to nobody. What I like about you, Terry Taylor, you got your name signed on the matter, on the dotted line. You got me excited, too. You got your name signed there. Signed down there. I can't even talk. I'm so happy. What's it going to be like? When I take that pretty head of hair and I take them pretty little eyes of yours and I stick them down in the mat and I start rubbing them out in all the little grills of ringside. Start going, Terry Taylor, Terry Taylor, my idol, my hero. I ain't in there to make it look pretty. I'm in there to do some harm. Come on, Terry Taylor. Okay, and Buzz Sawyer having some issues forming words there. No idea what he was on this week, Roman. And as good as Terry Taylor was in the ring, never the greatest promo. He was well-spoken, just never really a lot of emotion behind his promos, I always thought anyway. But a great match on paper. Buzz Sawyer versus Terry Taylor coming to the Sam Houston Coliseum. Yeah, and Taylor was one of those rare guys that, like I said, was kind of bland as a babyface when it came to promos. 
But as a heel, he seemed to find his niche a little bit more when it came to promos. You know, normally the better the baby face, the better heel they'll make or, or you know, vice versa. But Bland as a baby face, but had a little more uh, fire or whatever you want to call it as a heel, a little more believability. Well, I think that was because, well, if you believe it, what you hear, uh, maybe he was more of a heel in real life, <laughs> at least uh, cocky. I, I was going to say the same thing. The, the stories <laughs> I've heard, he was kind of a jerk in real life. So maybe that was just uh, an extension of his personality. Yeah. Terry Taylor, definitely the looks of a baby face. I can see why a lot of people ran with him as a baby face and it worked to a degree, but he never had that charisma that he did that ring presence of a heel. He, he played that so much better. And we move on more standby action. Well, no, actually they announced this last week. So I guess it wouldn't be a standby. It's six man tag team action here. Ricky Gibson, Al Perez and Brett Wayne Sawyer taking on the trio of Broadway, Joe Malcolm, J.R. Hogg, and The Nightmare. And remember last week on TV, Cowboy Bill Watts played this up as a rarity on TV, a six-man tag team match on free TV here this week as The Nightmare now relegated to teaming with enhancement talent on his way out of the company. The babyfaces, though, with quick tags early on working over the preliminary guys, but the heels finally isolate Gibson and work him over in their corner. But finally, it's hot tag time to Al Perez, as things break down into a pure sixer. Triple Irish whip by the babyfaces sees all three heels collide, and Al Perez with a, wow, German suplex and a bridge on the 300-pound J.R. Hogg. Impressive bridge there, and Al Perez going to pick up the win in 4 minutes and 48 seconds. You know, they have something here in Al Perez. It just seems like they're uncertain what to do with him. He certainly had the talent, but Mid-South is just so loaded at this point with established talent already. It's hard to get Al Perez. It's hard to get his foot in the door. Well, we had talked about that before, you know, yeah. Perez had a good look, was decent in the ring. Or just nobody knew what to do with them. There was just something missing that it factor, whatever, you know, however you want to define it. There was just something not there for Perez. He should have been a lot bigger star than what he was. Yeah. I'm not sure what it was. And I gotta be honest with you. When I followed mid South the first time around, Watching Al Perez, when they were trying to get over the German suplex, I'm like, okay, well, he, the belly to back. That's all he kept saying, the belly to back. I kept saying, okay, I get it. You, you do a German suplex. But he took it and he ran with it here. And, you know, they did the demonstration with the dummy and all that stuff. But, man, picking up J.R. Hogg over his head and driving him backwards and standing in that bridge just really impressed me here this week. J.R. Hogg had to be somewhere around that 300-pound mark. Yeah, he was a big man. And then uh, something that stuck out to me in this match was that you know, we had talked about before, we weren't quite sure how the nightmare came to be the North American heavyweight champion. Right. Oh, how the mighty have fallen, I guess. You know, here he yeah. is working with enhancement talent in a six-man match. Yeah, talk about falling down the card from your main event North American champion down here teaming with a couple of the preliminary guys, the enhancement talent, really. Yeah, yeah, it was a fall from grace for him, you know. But, hey, he had a run that a lot of people would have loved to have. A lot of people would have loved to have been the North American champion. So at least he had that to hang his hat on. No question. Show continues on, and we got one more match here tonight for Mid-South Wrestling. It's Ted DiBiase taking on Gustavo Mendoza. Gustavo wearing that jacket that reads Nuclear Weapons on the back, and I, I couldn't do anything but write LMAO here, Roman. Yes, it is cheap heat, but I found it hilarious. Gustavo Mendoza was always an entertaining enhancement talent, and then you pit him up against Ted DiBiase. This is definitely a, a match worth watching just for that alone. Yeah, Gustavo is, is a... Uh, confuses me because he can't comes into Mid-South with no real track record, no real background. Even in Puerto Rico, I can't find much. 
This guy knows where to be in the ring. He's he's a solid worker. He knows what he's doing. And he even gets the uh, idea of a little cheap heat here with the nuclear weapons. I, maybe that was somebody else's idea, but he ran with it here, even as a enhancement guy. And, and I appreciate him for that. Putting in the effort. Yeah, definitely. And uh, he stood out from the other enhancement guys. You know, like you said, there's not a lot of background on him, but he filled his role pretty good in the Mid-South area. And as the match gets going here, DiBiase and Gustavo feeling out process leads to a top wrist slack by DiBiase. Gustavo pulling DiBiase's hair repeatedly, three times in fact, finally waking DiBiase up the heel inside. No stranger to cheating, DiBiase fights right back, yanking Mendoza down by his hair and a dropkick sending Mendoza out to the floor. And then back in the ring, Gustavo gets in a couple of shots, but he can't maintain the offense. DiBiase coming back with the power slam and a figure four leg lock. But Dickie Murdoch out of nowhere attacking again tonight. This guy is everywhere here on the show. Murdoch attacking Ted DiBiase while he had the figure four applied. Always the opportunist there. DiBiase going to pick up the DQ win in four minutes and 33 seconds. Murdoch, no stranger to outside interference. And what a great time to attack an opponent. You know, he's got DiBiase's in the figure four. So obviously he's not free to move around and defend himself. So that's when Murdoch pounces on him. Yeah, really good stuff there by a classic heel in Dick Murdoch. So Murdoch attacks DiBiase, but Teddy, he comes fighting right back. Ted has Dickie rocking, went out of nowhere. The masked superstar from behind joins in with Dick Murdoch for a two-on-one on Ted DiBiase, and you know what's coming next, Roman. It's Dr. Death Steve Williams out for the save. Doc goes after Dickie Murdoch, which allows Jim Ross to shout, Oklahoma versus Texas. By God, got to get that in. It's a wild brawl, Roman, but we're out of time. And as the show concludes, we head into a Fabulous Ones Memphis video. We'll talk about that in just a second. But so we get an epic fight, a brawl at the end of the show between the a big tag team match coming around the horn between Doc and DiBiase versus Murdoch and Superstar. And we get to watch all four of them go at it here. It's kind of like that last Raw before the Royal Rumble for several years in a row where they just send everybody out there, kind of creating what you can expect when you get to the pay-per-view. And that's kind of like what we're seeing here, that wild brawl between these four men. You can expect that when you, when they come to your town. Exactly. And, you know, just thinking about this, like with the, with the wrestlers doing the run-ins, it needs to be done a certain way. Otherwise it gets too predictable, too right. boring. I mean, you know, you have flashbacks to when the NWO would always run in. You're like, sure. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> but when Murdoch ran in, it was excitement. If DiBiase did a run in and it, attacked Michael Hayes. It was excitement. There was just something about it. Like you didn't mind when they had run-ins in the Mid-South and UWF area. Yeah. I don't know if it's just the naivety of me, the the child inside me, but I don't see the run-ins coming here in Mid-South like you can do, you know, even 10 years from here in 1986, but not just that. I never see the babyface run-ins coming and it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I should have known Doc was coming out, but it's just fun. It's excitement all over again this many years later. Exactly. They weren't as predictable. You know, like you said, you were just watching as a fan and you're like, oh, shoot, here comes DiBiase. Go get him, Ted. You know, you'd, you'd get wrapped up in it. And so the show comes to a conclusion. These four men brawling in the ring as they throw us to a Fabulous Ones music video. But this wasn't created here in uh, the Mid-South. It was created down in Memphis. It's to the Everybody Wants You song, which makes sense. It's literally the same clips shown twice on a loop here. I wrote, oof. Not exactly Joel Watts quality music video, but the Fabs are on their way. The Fabulous Ones had several music videos back in the day. They had Drop the Bomb on Me, Everybody oh, yeah. Wants You, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's kind of funny you look back now. I mean, I know it was done to cater to the female audience, but 
having two guys lay next to each other in a barn and, and hay and you know, Stan Lane even joked about it. Like they really didn't make us look real manly by doing that. You know? Yeah. Speedos in the snow laying on bearskin rugs next to each other. It was, I don't know. It's insane. How I know they were over with the ladies. That makes total sense, but it's insane. However, they still got with the male fans after some of these questionable poses and things they did back then. Two men getting into the, getting into a limo together with their shirt off, you know, might've made the <laughs> ladies heart flutter, but it didn't do anything for the guys. So as Mid-South ends, we get a final shill this Friday night, June the 24th, Sam Houston Coliseum. It's going to be the fabulous ones taking on Chavo and Hector Guerrero in a Mexican death match. We talked about that on the last show. Also, we get localized promos closing the show. More talk of the upcoming Bunkhouse Battle Royal featuring Dr. Death, Ted DiBiase, Dickie Murdoch, as we're off to the January 19th edition of Power Pro Wrestling, hosted by Jim Ross, as we get a throwback to the Butch Reed-Dick Slater confrontation a while back when, when Slater had claimed that he didn't want any part of Ric Flair's bounty showing just how shifty Slater can be as he did collect on that bounty with Ric Flair taking Butch Reed out for a little bit of time there near the end of 1985. And then we see North American champion Dick Slater score a win here over Steve Dahl as we head into our first set of localized promos on Power Pro for the UNO Lakefront Arena show on January the 28th. It's fan appreciation night. Listen to these, these prices, Roman. Front row ringside, $8. All other seats, just $3. Unbelievable. One of the matches on the card, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert taking on Terry Taylor. You mean to tell me I got I could pay you $3 and I can sit pretty much anywhere else in the entire arena? I'm there. Oh, in a heartbeat. I wouldn't even think twice about it. No, and I think that's something like $9 today if you count regular inflation. So it's just insane to think about $3. Talk about... Fan appreciation night, no doubt about it. Thank you, Bill Watts. As we move on, we get a VTR from Memphis featuring the fabulous ones defeating the team of the Memphis spoiler. That's Frank Morell under that mask. And Bill Rose, Kern going to pick up the win there with a flying forearm on Rose in maybe about 90 seconds. So we continue the matches from other territories here on Power Pro, and they use that to showcase the talent heading into the company. They don't have a lot of footage of the talent here in Mid-South yet, so we borrow a little bit of footage from the Memphis territory. Right. That was, that was the beauty back then, you know, in wrestling, that they would get footage from other territories. You know, I remember once in a while, Georgia Championship Wrestling would show an AWA match or whatever. It was always kind of fun to see the crossovers like that. And Power Pro continues on. We go back to the fall of 85, Irish McNeil Boys Club, How I Miss You. It's Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer defeating Bruiser Bob Sweetan in about four and a half minutes with a big power slam. And then it's off to another commercial break and more localized promos from the UNO Lakefront Arena show coming up January 28th. Tag team titles on the line. I've got sound bites queued up from both sides. It's the champions Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death Steve Williams taking on the team of the Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer and the Masked Superstar. I went through a lot of things in 1985. A lot of things to look and put behind us. Well, now it's 1986 and we want to be the people's champions. We've got a rough, tough match coming up. Up against uh, Buzz Sawyer and the Superstar. That's right, Doc. And we've had this attitude adjustment. And we've got to go out and we've got to prove ourselves to the people. We've got a lot of things that, that went on, and a lot of things that we did in the past that we've got to make up for and make the people believe in us. Now, I know, Superstar, your reputation worldwide. You're a bounty hunter. You go out and you're, you're a headhunter. You look for people and you hurt people. Buzz Sawyer, you're the same. And I'm sure you're looking at this adjustment in Dr. Death and Ted DiBiase as a weakness. Don't count on it. 
Well, both those men are going to be in the bunkhouse brawl along with Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer and the Mad Superstar. Let's hear this from the Mad Dog. Dr. Death Steve Williams, you take it up on yourself to come in a ring with the Mad Superstar known all over the world, only the Mad Dog might be known a little bit better. Him and me as tag team partners. You come to me and you say, hey, I want you two to come to me. I'm going to put the titles up. What's that? I don't care about no titles. I don't care about titles. You think you're doing me a favor? Putting the titles up. You think you're doing Superstar a favor? Putting the titles up. You know what we care about? We care about hurting you guys. We care about crippling you and putting you out of wrestling. That's what we care about. Would have loved to have been there and seen that. Gosh, just four of my favorites right there all in one match. It would have been awesome to see. And the, the promos, they're fun here. Dr. Death and Ted DiBiase say they turned over a new leaf. They have a new lease on life as baby faces. It's just that simple. They've turned good, and they're basically telling you so. Hey, we've turned over a new leaf. We're good guys now. Well, that was a funny thing back then. Just by a simple statement like that, the fans ate it up, and we're supposed to believe that the fellow baby faces had no problem with them coming into their locker room either. You know, it's just one of the quirky things about wrestling that we were supposed to believe back in the day. Yeah, I'm going to touch on that a little bit when, a little bit later when we get to uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan returning to town. But for right now, also during that promo, DiBiase referring to Buzz Sawyer and the Masked Superstar both as headhunters or bounty hunters. Then on the other side, Buzz Sawyer stating that he doesn't care about no titles, Roman. All he cares about is crippling Dr. Death and Ted DiBiase. And I do believe he meant that. With Buzz, that wasn't hard to believe. He was, he was a little out there. So Buzz Sawyer kind of confirming that he's not here for titles. He's just here to break necks and collect some money. So maybe he is a headhunter. Yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, he, he thrived on hurting people. You know, that seemed to be his main focus. And back to the ring. It's throwback match time, Roman. And I do mean back. We're going to go all the way back to September 23rd, 1983. Wow, talk about a deep dive. To the Sam Houston Coliseum, it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan teaming with Dr. Death Steve Williams taking on the big team of, wow, listen to this, King Kong Bundy and the One Man Gang. And as the match gets going, Dr. Death actually picks Bundy up, very impressive, and walks across the ring with him for the Oklahoma Stampede. And then in the final moments, the One Man Gang picking Doc up, but Jim Duggan rushing it, spearing the back of Dr. Death, sending him on top of the gang for the one, the two, and the three. 17 minutes shown here. The match shown in its entirety here on Power Pro. Two of the superhuman heavyweights in Bundy and Gang teaming up. And what might be fun for some people to look back on this is this was when Doc was very, very green. So you can see him in the early stages of his career. Yeah, that's a good point if you go back and watch this. And remember, guys, all of this footage right now over at youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. Be sure to subscribe as I continue to add all of the shows here from 1986 and Mid-South in chronological order, you guys can follow along. I'm already up to the middle of March, so anything that, that piques your interest or if you just want to follow along with everything with us, you guys can go back and check it out right now, youtube.com slash grenade, including this matchup, and it's a good point, Roman. I forgot, I wasn't even thinking, Dr. Death was indeed very green and very much so a rookie. Just had a couple of matches outside of uh, his college games in 1982 when he got his start in Mid-South. And here we are in 1983, Dr. Death already touring, so to speak, working the, the territory of Houston as well. But what an impressive feat of strength. Yeah, Bundy helped him a little. He had to get up there. 
but Dr. Death walking, holding that massive humanity, walking him across the ring with ease. Scary strength, Dr. Death. Yeah, and human weight is a lot different than weight in the gym, you right. know? And <laughs> very, yeah, very impressive feat by Dr. Death right there. So I thought to myself, why show this matchup, a match from three years ago? Clearly, Bill Watts must have gotten wind. I'd have to think that King Kong Bundy was working Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 2 by this point. And One Man Gang, he's down in Dallas right here. So that's also a territory Watts is invading as we speak. Right. And, you know, and plus it makes his guys look good that are still there, you know, in Duggan and Doc. You know, why, why show something that's going to make Gang and Bundy look good when they're not even in the Federation anymore? Yeah, and talk about going back in your archives to find something. Let's see, Bundy, I need to find something where Bundy loses. And, hey, the gang, he's not here either, so it doesn't matter if he loses. And I need to have two guys going over that I'm featuring right now here, three years later still, in the Mid-South Territory, and, and they go and find it. It's Dr. Death and Duggan going over on the gang and Bundy. Take that, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, Watts, Watts uh, he was known to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder at times, so it's uh, not surprised that he would do something vindictive like that. Yeah, like you not, said, especially if he got w word that Hogan was going against Bundy at WrestleMania too. Yeah, and it's not like he hit it. He came right out on TV and told you so. Oh, exactly. Yeah, he, he <laughs> minced no words about it. Power Pro continues on. More localized promos queued up here. Again, for the UNO Lakefront Arena, January 28th, Dick Murdoch, well, this is unusual, Dick Murdoch going to cut a promo for North American champion Dick Slater. Then on the other side, we're going to hear from the challenger, Jake the Snake Roberts. We could not get Dick Slater to come on camera, but Dick Murdoch made a statement for Dick Slater. Let's hear this. You know, Jake Roberts, you were a lucky, lucky individual when you won the TV championship. But you know, Mid-South Championship Committee, they get, they get excited during all the action every now and then and say you can't hold two titles at one time. Well, Dickie Slater is going to let me hold the North American title for a while while he comes and gives you a good old country whooping while he comes and takes your TV title, Jake Robertson, and then he sends you on the road crying like a scalded hound dog with your tail tucked between your legs. Because Jake Roberts, the only thing you got going for you, and the only thing you got going for you, is a DDT. And we have worked out an escape, a counter move for the DDT. Jake Roberts... Polish up the little trophy, polish up the TV title, because it's coming to our stable. This is really an intriguing situation in as much as that Slater refused to come on camera. Murdoch did want to be on camera, as he is a never, never lost for words. And now they say they have the counter for the DDT. Well, the man with the DDT, Jake the Snake Roberts, has made comments. Let's hear this. You are the North American champion. You have the gold around your waist, newly crowned champion. How long can you hold on to it, Slater? How long? A lot of tough men have held that title. You're just one of them. So don't think you're nothing special. Oh, you got a fine-looking woman sitting there at ringside that likes to stick her hand in sometime. But I'll tell you this now, Jenny. I'll drop you the same way I would a man. So before you stick your hand in there, think about losing the hand. Slater, no disqualification rules for the title. Ordered back because we didn't get it done the first time. I'm ready. Are you ready? Can anybody be ready for DDT? No. What was interesting is Jake's DDT is obviously a phenomenal move. It's a finisher. You know, everybody knows about it. You don't hear wrestlers talking about having a counter for it. Right. So in this promo to hear about a counter was kind of interesting. I just thought it was fun that Dick Slater clearly wasn't here to cut a promo 
So they just simply throw Dick Murdoch in there to cut a promo for Dick Slater, talking about, like you said, Dick Slater uh, finding a counter. They both had found a counter for the DDT. And then Jake Roberts responding that if Dark Journey sticks her nose in, he'll drop her just like a man. Jake Roberts has no shame in his game. He'll take out Dark Journey. We'll talk a lot more about that before this edition of Regional Wrestling is over as well. Yeah, Jake, uh, Jake didn't care. You, you stuck your nose in his business. He was going to make you pay for it. What did you make of Dick Murdoch cutting a promo for Slater? Did you not even bat an eye, or did you did you have a little chuckle? They would do something yeah, like that. It, it's not normally something that was done. It's like, why not, why wouldn't Slater talk for himself? You know, it just, yeah, it was kind of interesting. And we conclude this edition of Power Pro, and this is Cowboy Bill Watts all the way. It's Cowboy Bill interviewing Congressman James R. Jones, who attends the shows here in Tulsa. It's an old college buddy of Cowboy, Roman. Yeah, it's. I would have rather seen a match than seen this interview, to tell you the truth. You know, Bill Watts going national, and I get it here. He's a congressman, so he represents his area. But, I mean, he's a congressman, so he represents the entire United States as well. But it just seems odd interviewing an old college buddy. Bill Watts just trying to show how uh, how in he is with some of the politicians here. Bill putting over Jones's job, but Jones says he comes to the Mid-South shows just to relax with his boys. Bill Watts mentioning he's expanding the company, so it's good to have a friend in Washington, D.C. Jones says they've both come a long way since OU. Yeah, just give me wrestling. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all I want. I watch wrestling for wrestling. You know, if I wanted to watch Washington Week in Review, that's what I would do. But yeah, stick to wrestling. At least it felt like filler at the end of the show here because this does close out the show. And how's this for a fun fact, guys? Watching this, Jones here, a congressman. Bill Watts is riding high himself, the UWF expanding national in the world of professional wrestling. But then Jones, he's going to drop out of Congress to run for senator later here in 1986. He will lose that campaign. And then less than a year later, Bill Watts has to sell the UWF to Jim Crockett. Goes to show you things can change awfully fast. Oh, and the the drop of a hat. I mean, you think about it. They were running shows at the Iris McNeil's Boys Club, and then they're going national. And then, like you said, about a year and a half later or so, now they're being sold to, to Turner. And that'll wrap up that edition of Power Pro. We'll fast forward to the following week, Mid-South Wrestling for January 25th. Action now taped January 19th from the Tulsa Fairgrounds Pavilion. As we kick things off, we get a recap of recent goings-on here in the Mid-South Wrestling territory. We have a brand-new TV champion in Jake the Snake Roberts, new North American champion in Dick Slater. And it's Jim Ross standing by in the ring, going to interview Dick Murdoch and the masked superstar. Murdoch says he put Butch Reed out of Mid-South with the Brain Buster last week, and now it's back to Ted DiBiase. Murdoch says that Dr. Death is Ted's bodyguard and is preventing Murdoch from taking DiBiase out. Murdoch tells Ted to lose the bodyguard, and he will take DiBiase out of the wrestling business for good. Murdoch then also randomly agrees out of nowhere to take the DDT from Jake the Snake Roberts if Jake can get up from the Brain Buster first. That'd make an interesting contest there. Dickie then calling out DiBiase for a one-on-one match somewhere down the line. So some fun things here from Dick Murdoch calling out DiBiase, referencing Dr. Death as his bodyguard, ignoring the fact that he has the masked superstar in his corner, classic heel stuff, and then, of course, out of nowhere, challenging Jake Roberts to a Brain Buster versus DDT contest. I wonder if that was something that Murdoch did on his own, kind of went off the script a little bit, because <laughs> you just kind of figured they weren't going to do the Brain Buster DDT because 
somebody's going to look bad, you know, if they do that contest. Yeah, I mean, unless it's obviously just leading to an angle, but Jake Roberts right in the middle of a feud with Dick Slater right now. So I could see, are you kidding me, Roman, though? Murdoch going off script? Never. <laughs> Never. Not in a million years. Dickie Murdoch continuing. Oh, okay. He's continuing his feud with Ted DiBiase here. So we head into a commercial break and back from break, Jim Ross in the ring again for another interview, this time with Terry Taylor. Terry is back and he says he's back for the North American title and he doesn't care who has it. That's Terry Taylor's goal, 1986, to become the North American champion once again. Taylor says he got too fancy with the title last time around, too fancy with his holds, and he's going to go back to what brought him to the dance, his five arm. So Terry Taylor blaming his wrestling approach for losing the belt last year. And uh, it's, it's back to the basics, says Terry Taylor. He's going to get the job done, going to use that five arm and win the belt again. Well, that should be every wrestler's goal in the Federation is to be the the top man being the North American champion. You would think. But the fact that they gave Taylor the interview time and let him talk about kind of what his strategy, you can read between the lines and see that Taylor's going to get a little bit of a push coming up. How did you feel about him blaming his, his wrestling? Uh, he was getting too fancy with his moves. That's why he lost the belt and left the, the company. But he's back now, and he's going to go back to the basics. That sounds like a possibility of a heel turn right there, you know? Like, enough with the wrestling. I mean, the five arm is considered a punch, you know, a forearm, and that's a little rougher more than the traditional wrestling style. So you could kind of read between the lines that maybe he might go a little more towards the heel style of wrestling. I, I mean, that's one way I would look at it. Okay. I, I, you know, I didn't even look at it that way. That's, that's a good point. I just looked at it like, this is a lame excuse. <laughs> that's a, that's a, oh, I got too fancy with my moves. You weren't shooting off 450s back in 1985, Terry Taylor, but uh, it is what it is. Terry Taylor, back to the basics. Going to use that five arm to climb back to the top of the Mid-South Territory as we see a brand new Terry Taylor music video now produced by Joel Watts. When the going get tough, the tough get going. And we'll see this about 400 more times here in 1986. I can't believe they went with a new video. I was so excited to see freeze frame for the 15,000th time. <laughs> but kind of funny when you think about it that when the going gets tough, that was used for Taylor, and that was also used on Saturday night's main event. I remember them using that oh, in a right. video package. It's amazing how much music got stolen, you know, without these artists getting royalties back in the day. Yeah, I'm not sure what NBC and Dick Ebersol were doing about that. I don't know if they were paying people off for Stand By Your Man and all the other things, Obsession and Animotion and all that good stuff on, on NBC. But, you know, Bill Watts wasn't chucking anything over. Yeah, you know, it's just. I was just thinking about that. I mean, for crying out loud, the WWF used to open up with Michael Jackson's Thriller. And I that's think it right. was a championship wrestling episode. That's right. You know, yeah. like, that's the king, king of pop. They used his music and no repercussions from it. Ah, I miss the 1980s. Simpler times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the music was definitely a lot better. That's for sure. I agree. As we head back to the ring, a tag team title rematch. As the new tag team champions, Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death, Steve William, going to take on the former champions, Hot Stuff, Eddie Gilbert, and The Nightmare, accompanied to the ring by Oliver Humperdinck. So The Nightmare, he goes from jobbing clean lately, then teaming with enhancement talent last week. They made mention of Gilbert even looking for a new tag team partner here on the show. And now, all of a sudden, they're teaming again. So you can probably guess who's doing the job here, Roman. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking <laughs> the same thing. I got, he goes from... An enhancement six-man match to the tag team uh, title match. And, uh, yeah, you can kind of figure out what might be going on there. 
So DiBiase and Doc won the titles from Eddie Gilbert and not the Nightmare, but the Nightmare actually skipped the initial title change on December 26th. Dick Murdoch filling in for him on that show. So this is the first time the Nightmare has been involved in a tag title match with Doc and DiBiase. And as the match gets going, it's Dr. Death overpowering Eddie Gilbert early on, launching him around the ring. But then the Nightmare tags in, tries to press Dr. Death, but Williams slides behind. And instead, it's Dr. Death pressing 300 pounds of the Nightmare over his head. Not necessarily shocked, but still quite the sight. Jim Ross on commentary then points out that after almost four years, I love this, Ted DiBiase has lost his black glove. It's simply gone. A complete babyface turn here by Ted DiBiase. Those subtle little things pointed out. The black glove began the heel turn of Ted DiBiase back in 1982, and now he ditches it after going back babyface. You know, I met DiBiase a couple of years ago at a convention I was working, and in that picture I got him to sign, he had the black glove on, and when I left, I was kicking myself. I should have asked him the significance. Why was it called Maggie? And, you know, just all these things about the black glove I could have asked him, and I, and I never did. See, you know, it's so hard to come up with questions sometimes when you run into guys, especially from the territory days, which is the questions I'd be asking, but the, the things on my mind immediately – you know, automatically go to his million dollar man run, which is nothing I even care to even ask him. So yeah, I could see that slipping your mind, but man, that's some interesting questions. I wonder if he's ever touched on that. I wonder if anybody's deep dived and and talked to him about that in any of his shoots. Yeah. I was wondering, you know, is that an ex-girlfriend's name? Why Maggie? Or maybe it was just as simple as hey, we needed to call it something. I don't know. But yeah, it was just something I thought about when I, when I left. So as the tag team match goes on, the heels finally take over on Dr. Death and they nail a heart attack as the Nightmare holds Doc up. Gilbert off the middle rope of the clothesline. Williams, though, able to kick out and hot tag to Ted DiBiase, leading to a four-way melee as the heels collide. Center ring, Ted DiBiase then. Power slam on the Nightmare. He tries for the figure four leg lock, but Eddie Gilbert breaking it up. DiBiase then with a reverse rolling cradle on the Nightmare instead. Eddie Gilbert charges again with a clothesline, but Teddy ducks, and Gilbert runs into Dr. Death. Fun spot there. And DiBiase maintains the rolling cradle and gets the one, the two, and the three. Doc and DiBiase defeating the former champions, Eddie Gilbert, and the Nightmare in five minutes and 48 seconds. Another good victory for Doc and DiBiase. You know, just they keep rolling. And we head into a commercial break. It's localized promos for the upcoming Houston show. Six-man tag team action scheduled. The team of Dick Murdoch, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, and the Masked Superstar going to take on the trio of the tag team champions, Ted DiBiase and Dr. S. Steve Williams, their partner, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Let's hear from both sides of this match. Outstanding matches and competitors it's got and some of the biggest explosions in the world. But right now it could be the biggest explosions ever happened. Right here, the Mad Dog, Superstar, and Dick Murdoch going against Dr. S. Steve Williams, Ted DiBiase, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Now, how did they get Jim Duggan? You can't trust Jim DiBiase. Duggan, he can't trust you. They've got to be a lot of money there. There's got to be a lot of money changing hands. One thing they ain't got that we have got, man, and Superstar, that's trust. We got trust. a lot of fire. We got a lot of heart. We got a lot of desire. And I got a lot of hatred for every one of them, especially you, Duggan. The real stuff Took a lot of talking, but we got it done. Jim Duggan, Ted DiBiase, and Dr. Death are coming together. And it's a surprise, yes, a surprise to me, a surprise to everybody. But Jim Duggan is so fed up with Buzz Sawyer and what Buzz Sawyer did to his girlfriend. 
I'm fed up with Dick Murdoch trying to end my career. And that's not to say that everything is settled between Jim Duggan and myself. But for this one time, for this one match, we're going to pull together for one reason, a common cause, a common bond. When you got a dirty, nasty job to do, you got to get down, and you got to get down as heavy as you can. And, Doc, you know as well as I do how bad Jim Duggan can be because you and I have probably given and taken more lumps with that man than any anybody else in Mid-South. So we know what he's capable of doing. Dick Murdoch, Buzz Sawyer, and the Mass Superstar, you know what he's capable of, too. You know what we're capable of. And you got to be just a little bit worried about this three star. All right, and Dickie Murdoch asking a really good question here. How can Jim Duggan and Ted DiBiase trust one another? I thought it was great, too, you know, to plant the seeds of doubt. Hey, you two haven't exactly been best of friends. How can you trust each other now? It's great because, remember, Jim Duggan's been gone for the last several weeks. DiBiase and Doc make the babyface turn, and we're just supposed to believe everybody's getting along now after the longstanding feud between DiBiase and Hacksaw Duggan. Murdoch pointing that out, like, I don't care that you guys aren't going to get along, but how stupid can you be to team up with one another? Meanwhile, on the other end, we got DiBiase saying that it took a lot of talking and convincing to Hacksaw Jim Duggan, but he finally agreed. And Duggan and DiBiase, they may have their own unresolved issues, but they have a common goal here. They're fed up with the heels in the Mid-South Territory, and for one night only, even though that's not true, I love the way Teddy said it, for one night only, Duggan and DiBiase will set aside their own issues for the common cause. Yeah, and I thought it was good that DiBiase tried to explain it, you know, that they they did do some talking, because if Murdoch was thinking it, I guarantee you a lot of the wrestling fans were thinking it. Like, hey, you know, you guys just all of a sudden are, are buddies, you know? So it was it was good uh, storytelling for DiBiase to say, you know, we had a long talk and kind of ironed out our differences a little bit. Yeah, and it seems like common sense to someone who's really paying attention. But nowadays, you just slap matches together and you're just told to forget about the past. And, and back here, they didn't insult your intelligence as a fan. And they explained that DiBiase said... It took a lot of convincing and a lot of talking, but we're getting together for the common cause and we're setting things aside for one night only. I love that. Yeah, that was a great line. And uh, I always like, you know, they don't have to harp on the past, but like you said, don't insult the intelligence, the fans intelligence. You know, if a wrestler broke your neck two years ago in a different federation, it's okay to acknowledge that, you know, just don't harp on it. Right. And the show continues on. Jim Ross back in the ring again. This is a, a very promo heavy here. I don't know if it's just because of the, the change in the Mid-South Territory or if this is the Terry Taylor style of booking, but Jim Ross doing a heck of a lot of uh, in-ring promos as of late. Yeah, and, you know, Jim Ross was the right guy to do it. You know, I don't know if it would have went over so well if you had a uh, Reese or Bowden or Boyd <laughs> Pierce in the ring, you know, five times in an episode. Right, yeah. Jim Ross was definitely threw himself into the story. He became a part of the story without actually putting himself over. He knew where it was going and what he needed to do to get it to the next level. Whereas, and no offense, I love me some old school wrestling, but maybe a Reeser Bowden, uh, certainly a Reeser Bowden and probably even Boyd Pierce, maybe wouldn't know exactly what to do to escalate the situation from the interviewer's side of things. Exactly. And also on the mic, you know, the good thing with Ross is that he could talk over the crowd when the crowd would go hysterical, you know, if a Michael Hayes or Terry Gordy or somebody did a run in right. Ross could actually raise his voice to the crowd level where you couldn't picture somebody like a Gordon Soley or a Lance Russell doing that, you know? So Ross was a conduit. He was a very important factor in the UWF being as good as it was. 
Yeah, Jim Ross raising his voice, that's an understatement. Definitely did a good job of doing that. Uh, but here, Jim Ross back in the ring. He's going to interview the North American champion, Dick Slater. A couple of interesting lines here by Slater. Dickie says that Dark Journey is here wherever he goes and when he comes. He also says Journey is here to walk in and out of the ring with him and service him however she sees fit as he has a laugh on the mic. Some innuendos there, Roman, I have to say, from Dick, which is also an innuendo of itself, I'd have to think. Yeah, no, you know, <laughs> I mean, most people back then, they weren't smart fans, you know. They didn't right. know the behind-the-scenes stuff with Slater and Journey, so they probably had a good laugh about that in the locker room afterwards. Yeah, you know, that felt more like a, a Mean Gene localized promo in the WWF when Vince wasn't watching and didn't pay attention, and those guys just tried to get away with whatever they wanted there in the mid-'80s on the localized promos, and that just felt like what Dick Slater was doing here in the ring a little bit. Again, you, like you said, but they had a lot of issues, from my understanding. Obviously, Dark Journey, uh, not of the Caucasian persuasion. D uh, Dick Slater, obviously white male, and uh, supposedly they had a lot of issues because of that, that mixed-race relation because even though we didn't know exactly what was going on, it was implied to a degree, obviously, and, uh, you know, down south, specifically in areas that they were wrestling in, weren't too happy with that. And they were already heels, so you can imagine the heat they were getting. Yeah, I remember reading about that. You know, that was a different time and a different era. You know, now people are more open and accepting of people's lifestyles or who they date or whatever. But back then, that was, to a lot of people, considered kind of taboo for a white man to be with somebody that wasn't white, you know? And uh, like you said, that raised a few eyebrows back then. So the promo continues on. Dickie Slater says nobody can pin him. And he still has his eyes set on Jake the Snake Roberts' TV title as well. Slater says not only will he be the greatest North American champion, but he'll also be the greatest television champion of all time. Enter Jake the Snake Roberts into the ring, confronting Dick Slater, reminding him that it was Jake who pinned Dick Slater the TV title just a couple weeks ago. To a lot of tough men that would love to own this championship belt. You've had some great men wear the North American Heavyweight Championship, and I can't give say anything more about that, but I'm going to say right now, the greatest one of all is standing here right now, because I will be the greatest North American champion of all times, because there's not a man that can put my back down in a mat for the one, two, three, when I put this title up. And I'd like to say one other thing. Jake Roberts, I'm going right back after that television title match against Jake Roberts anytime that he has enough guts to put his name down in the dotted line. I'll take Jake Roberts on. And then I'll not only be the greatest North American title holder of all time, but also the greatest television title of all time. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you hear the tremendous roar of the crowd. Just extend the DDT. We won't use the DDT. 
Slater then telling the snake that he wants Jake's TV medallion. Well, you know what? Jake kind of likes that North American title, too. Jake then suggests that both men put both titles on the line, title for title, North American champion versus television champion, and Slater agrees to the challenge if Jake Roberts will agree not to use the DDT, ban the DDT for the title match. Jake Roberts reluctantly seems to agree to that stipulation only if Dick Slater agrees to bar that Jezebel trash dark journey from ringside. You know, we had talked on an earlier podcast about how Slater was a thinking man's champion, the, the thinking man's, you know, the healed wrestler. What a stroke of genius, you know? Yeah, I'll get in the ring with you, but you can't use your best move on me. I thought that was a brilliant uh, way for Slater to go about it. And then of course, Jake countering with the get the Jezebel out of the way. Or, you know, of course, that made the crowd pop. So, yeah, those stipulations definitely added to it. You want to talk about the crowd popping, Roman? It's coming. So, now, remember, both men out here in street clothes. They're not ready to fight. Dick Slater, though, jumping Jake Roberts after referring to Dark Journey as Jezebel and trash. And from there, it's a back and forth. Both men trading blows. Dickie Slater running into the knee lift of Jake the Snake Roberts, but that's when Dark Journey from behind, blinding the snake with quote-unquote ink, maybe some black spray paint there, I'm not really sure what it was, but they're calling it ink here on TV, and the snake he can't see, and he winds up grabbing the closest person to him, which just happens to be Dark Journey. Jake the Snake Roberts grabbing Dark Journey, blinded Jake, DDT on Dark Journey, and the crowd absolutely loses their fucking mind, Roman. Great angle, and it just goes to show the heat they had back then. You didn't see people in the crowd go, oh, no, he, he DDT'd a woman. They popped for it. They wanted her to get the DDT almost as much as they wanted Slater to be on the receiving end of the DDT. And, of course, after that, Dickie Slater going crazy in the ring. Dark journey out, and I mean out. What an angle. What an angle. Jake Roberts dropping a woman in the crowd solidly behind it here. Not like when Duggan's wife or, or girlfriend at the time, Deborah, got elbow dropped by, by Buzz Sawyer. This is a completely different thing. The fans hate Dark Journey and they pop for this DDT, a move that Jake Roberts calls the loudest pop he ever heard in his career, at least in his run in Mid-South. Oh, it was incredible. And just they had moved from the Irish McNeil's Boy Club to get into larger arenas, and you could definitely hear the large arenas in this. I don't know how the pop would have been in the Irish McNeil's Boys Club, but in this larger arena, wow, it was incredible. 
And I want to go back. I have a soundbite queued up of the spot. Joel Watts is on the call. Dark Journey blinds Jake with the ink. And then Journey eats the DDT. I want everyone to listen to not only the loudness of the pop, but the length and the sustainability that this pop receives. Let's listen. My goodness. It looks like Dark Journey has sprayed something in the face of Jake the Snake Roberts. It's pandemonium. Jake has it. listening to this Roman right now, literally right now, feeling goosebumps up and down the back of my neck and shoulders, just surreal, the emotion that the wrestlers could get from the crowd back in those days. You know, and if you think about it, I mean, you know, ticket prices were cheap and everything, but you pay your money to go to the matches and you see something unexpected like that happen. And it's something you wanted to see happen, you know, in in the end, I mean, you probably felt like you were getting a bonus. I mean, no wonder they were so happy. I guarantee you those fans, when they left to the arena, were not thinking that they were going to see Dark Journey get DDT'd by Jake. No, definitely not. And I want to elaborate a little more on this angle here, maybe even critique it, if you will. So Dark Journey, she tries to bump for the DDT as soon as Jake hooks her. And he has to actually kind of pick her back up by her pants and basically control her until he's ready to drop her with the DDT. Now, it's obvious, you know, she weighed like, 100 pounds or whatever, clearly wasn't Dick Slater. Uh, It'll come out that Jake knew all along that he was DDTing Journey here, but the announcers at this point played up for a while, pondering if Jake knew what he was doing and who he was doing it to. Really great stuff. Did Jake intentionally DDT Journey? Jake will explain in the upcoming weeks on TV that, yes, he did. But until then, we're left with the announcers questioning, did he really mean to do that? But the thing is, whether he meant meant to do it or not, the crowd didn't care. They That's got right. <laughs> they got they got a bonus. They were happy. Yeah, yeah. Either way, she got DDT, and that's all the crowd cared about. It was a really great stuff. Great angle. Only trouble is, we're forty minutes into this TV show, and we have had one match that went five minutes. Very unusual for a wrestling based territory like Mid South. Forty minutes into the show, five minute matchup. Yeah, a lot of other filler stuff, in-ring promos and whatnot, but there was still a lot of excitement, though. No, yeah, and I can't downplay that awesome angle. That made up for it, if you ask me, in that last segment, but it just seems very different from the normal that we're used to here with Bill Watts. And again, I have to go back, is this the Terry Taylor style of booking? More heavy on the promos and uh, I guess you could even say angles, though Jake Roberts uh, takes credit, naturally he would. Not just him, he and Dick uh, came up with a lot of their stuff or most of their stuff for their entire feud, not so much Terry Taylor. And it's no surprise. I mean, everybody that knows anything about Jake knows what a brilliant wrestling mind he had, and Slater was sharp too when it came to the wrestling business. So it's not a surprise that they came up with a lot of their own angles. Yeah, I got my two top champions here, two of the top draws in the territory right now. Both guys know exactly what they're doing on the mic and in the ring. 
So if they have ideas and I'm Terry Taylor, I'm smart enough to step back and say, let me go handle everything else over here and I'll let you guys worry about that. And then we'll collaborate at the end and see what we come up with. Oh, exactly. Yeah. There's no way I'm standing in the way of Jake Roberts. If he's got an idea on where an angle or a feud should go. And they have finally arrived here in the Mid-South Territory. I'm talking about Stan Lane and Steve Kern, the fabulous ones, going to step in the ring here against Steve Dahl and Ricky Gibson. And for those keeping score, the Fabs are heels here in the Mid-South Territory as Ricky Gibson looking good early on, but Dahl misses a high dropkick, leading to the Fabs taking over. Steve Kern with a backbreaker on Dahl, and then Lane all the way up to the top rope, flying knee drop off the top rope, while Dahl in that backbreaker of Kern it's like a, a next-level demolition decapitation here. And the Fab's going to score the win in 2 minutes and 47 seconds. And don't forget, the top rope illegal here in Mid-South Wrestling. So Stan Lane, he did that move while referee Tommy Gilbert was checking on Ricky Gibson. It's just the little things, and, and what an awesome finish. Yeah, and for years of seeing the Fab's wrestle against the Rule Breakers, now they are Rule Breakers. Just kind of a different experience for me as a wrestling fan to see them as heels. Yeah, and as someone who grew up more during the Midnight Express era, I had a lot more access to seeing TBS and watching Stan Lane replace Dennis Condry. Seeing Stan Lane come off the rope with the flying knee drop, you didn't see that a whole lot from Stan Lane later on in his career. No, you sure didn't. <laughs> Stan Lane on the top rope, period. <laughs> yeah, he was more of a ground guy with his uh, educated feet, you know, doing the judo <laughs> kicks. and Those educated feet, that's right. Hey, hey, Bobby, you can come off the top rope as many times as you want. I'm just going to stay down here. <laughs> show rolls on mad dog buzz sawyer taking on broadway joe malcolm as buzz slaps broadway joe's fucking ear right off his head here before beating him down to the ring insane height on a dropkick here from buzz sawyer as well guess you could say buzz was high in more way than one this week and he power slam gonna pick up the quick win in just 44 seconds buzz sawyer clearly doesn't care about wins and losses just wants to maim people now and post-match, Sawyer going to the top rope, delivering a flying splash. Again, because it's illegal, Sawyer doing the move off the top after the match and just slaughters poor Joe Malcolm here, who has been able to escape Sawyer until now because Malcolm's basically been a heel preliminary, but he gets thrown into the Lions with Buzz Sawyer this week. Buzz gets the steel chain, but he's pulled away before he can use it, laughing all the way to the dressing room. Really maimed poor Joe Malcolm. And for Malcolm's sake, it is good that Buzz didn't use the chain because uh, I don't know if there's a delicate way to swing the chain, but Buzz would have went 110 miles an hour and probably tore his head off with it. Yeah, if there was a safe way, he wasn't using it. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. Show continues on in the ring. It's Al Perez and Brett Wayne Sawyer awaiting their opponents, Dick Murdoch and the Mask Superstar. That looks like a little leaner Mask Superstar. That's because Bill Eady is not here. Instead, it's Kelly Kaniski replacing the Masked Superstar, the original Masked Superstar, Bill Eady, for the time being, I guess pretending to be him, however, they don't really acknowledge otherwise, as the heels jump the baby faces, but the faces come back, clearing the ring, and the fans go nuts for it, popping for Al Perez and Brett Sawyer, everyone over here in the Mid-South Territory, and as the match gets going, Superstar with a swinging neckbreaker on Al Perez, but eventually, Dickie Murdoch running into a Perez boot in the corner, and Brett Sawyer going to make the tag in, but the heels quickly, though, taking back over, making quick tags as they take out Brett Wayne on the mat. But Al Perez finally tagged back in again, takes it to Dickie Murdoch with a flying head scissors out of the corner. Perez tries for another head scissors, but he's in the wrong corner this time. And with Perez up in the air, I love this spot. Superstar grabbing Perez by his head, 
dropping him throat first across the top of the ropes. You know, I think the first time I saw that, Harley Race did it to Lanny Poffo. And I just always loved it. The guy goes up for the flying head scissors, and you just drop to your knees, and the guy goes crashing throat first across the top rope. Love that spot. Yeah, it's a good spot, definitely. It shows a little thought to it, you know. It doesn't look as pre-planned as some of the other moves or whatever. It shows a little creativity. Yeah, it's very cerebral by the heel, and it just looks nasty, downright nasty. I love it. So back to the action, though. Superstar tagging in, but he'll miss a corner charge. And then Al Perez hot tag back to Sawyer again. God, there's a lot of tags in this match. Brett Sawyer with a reverse body block on the superstar, but Dickie Murdoch back in the ring and immediately blasts him with a steel chair to the back of Brett Wayne's head. Ugh. Automatic disqualification and holy shit, what a chair shot to the back of the head. These guys laid him in back then. Perez and Sawyer going to get the DQ win. Six minutes and 52 seconds of surprisingly a fun little tv match they gave these guys time to work yeah it went a little bit longer than maybe expected but uh me being such a mass superstar fan i got it met just disappointed that it was not the mass superstar you always wanted to see bill Eady. you know it's not a knock on kanitsky but there was only one bill Eady. you know i gotta say walking into this matchup now i knew sawyer and uh, perez were probably going to get a few shots in but i didn't expect them to be so competitive so I thought it was interesting that rather than Perez or Sawyer get pinned here, did the bookers, did they elect to do the DQ here? Was it because they wanted to maybe do something further with the team of Perez and Brett? Or was it just to make Mask Superstar and Dick Slater even bigger assholes? That is a good question. Or they, they could have even went, believe it or not, as crazy as it sounds, they could add Perez and Brett pull an upset and pin the imposter Mask Superstar if, in fact, they did have ideas of Perez and Brett getting a push. But, yeah, that, that is an interesting question. It's kind of a weird finish or an unexpected finish, I should say. Yeah, I just don't know if it's just to put Murdoch over, get more heat on Murdoch and Superstar, or if they just wanted to save Perez and Brett. I know Watts wasn't big on, on a lot of clean finishes here on TV when you have guys you're trying to push to any degree, which makes sense. And we did get clean finishes, too. I, I should take that back, but not every match. And uh, here in this instance, I just thought this was an odd choice for a DQ Murdoch out of nowhere. But I really thought it was over earlier when they dropped Perez throat first across the top rope on that flying head scissors attempt. So when the match continued on, I'm like, this is interesting. What's going on here? And then I thought for sure we, we were going to see a finish a couple times in this matchup. And then Murdoch out of nowhere with the chair kind of threw me off. But it is what it is. And that'll conclude this edition of Mid-South Wrestling. Yeah, you know, and just, just thinking about that as you were talking about it. Murdoch with the chair, it would have made sense on a TV match against DiBiase, but in this case, heck, they could have had Murdoch just go to town on Perez or Sawyer with the chair and do an injury angle just to show what an a-hole Murdoch is. Yeah, that's another way they could have taken it. It's just really peculiar. I just thought this match was really interesting the way they chose to, to do the finish. I guess we'll never really know what the situation was there, but it's still a fun little TV match. I got a lot more out of it than I was expecting, so... It got to the point, you know, where they talk about people get mad, but then they get happy, but then they're mad again if you're telling the right story. And that's the way it was with me, because it was like, why is this going on so long until I realized, hey, this is pretty good. I'm okay with this. And uh, just a fun little TV match there as we move on to the following day, January 26th, Power Pro Wrestling. Pretty quick addition to run through here. Jim Ross hosts again as we head off to the Oklahoma City Myriad on December 31st, 1985. Dog collar match. Wow. On TV, a dog collar match between the Mad Dog, Buzz Sawyer, taking on Hacksaw Butch Reed. About 11 minutes of the match on pretty much the entire match. And the finish sees Buzz Sawyer putting 
his end of the dog collar on the top rope and then grabbing Butch Reed, who still had the other end of the collar attached to his throat. Buzz Sawyer hooking Reed for a bulldog, running him across the ring as the collar stops and Butch Reed's head snaps backwards. Sawyer using that maneuver, that whiplash-like maneuver, very creative, to get the pin there on Butch Reed, which is actually what would lead into the uh, into last week we saw on TV, Butch Reed having that encounter with Dick Slater. This was why, this was the issue that took place the prior day in Oklahoma City. You know, we had mentioned the kind of the format of Power Pro Wrestling, how we'd get to see a lot of matches that you normally wouldn't get to see. And I mean, come on, Butch Reed versus Buzz Sawyer in a dog collar match? Sign me up. You know, I'll watch that all day long. And the wrestling fan in me had a flashback to Georgia when Butch Reed beat Buzz Sawyer and Sawyer had to have his head shaved and put the headgear on. Right. So they didn't, they didn't really allude to that in this match, but in a way for me as a wrestling fan with the continuity and everything, it was kind of like Sawyer got a little bit of revenge on Butch Reed here, even and, though it was a couple years later. Right. And for Butch Reed fans, you have a little more story to tell here. Now, not only did he take that spike pile driver from Dick Slater and Ric Flair, but this also happened here. This, this whiplash looked really nasty. Hooking the rope, hooking the chain to the top rope, very clever spot. And then Buzz Sawyer going to run Butch Reed across the ring, knowing he was hooked to the top rope with that bulldog. And then he loses him because the chain runs out of room and Butch Reed's head gets snapped backwards, entering his neck further. And then, of course, the next night on TV tapings, Dickie Murdoch going to drop that brain buster on the floor. So the plot thickens and you get to add a little more in there. Now, this is why Butch Reed is not coming back. Injuries everywhere to that neck. Yeah, it makes perfect sense storyline-wise, you know, to work on the neck like that and have his neck get worked over a few times. And like you said, that's why he's no longer in the UWF area. And Jim Ross doing business for his company, making sure to point out after the matchup that it was a decisive win for Buzz Sawyer, basically not really giving him crap for cheating there, just calling it a decisive win because why? Buzz Sawyer's still here and Butch Reed is out the door. Nailed it, 100%. Why put over a guy that's no longer with your company? The remainder of Power Pro is Replay City as we see Jake Roberts over Dick Slater for the TV title, Buzz Sawyer over Steve Dahl. That's where Reed made the save and Murdoch dropped that brain buster. Also, we get a replay of Terry Taylor over Lord Humongous, that flying five arm. Ted DiBiase over Gustavo Mendoza on a DQ after Dick Murdoch's interference. And we close out the show with a Rock and Roll Express video on their way back into town for some matches. Rock and roll all night. There just wasn't enough music videos back in the 80s. No, not at all. That's why Joel Watts had to make 40 more. <laughs> so a one-match show this week, but what a match it was. We got a dog collar match on free TV. You just weren't seeing that on TV, but you certainly weren't getting that in the WWF. No, not at all. And uh, Yeah, it may have only been a one-match show, but like you said, I mean, that that's a good match to have to sit through, you know. I'm sorry, Reed and uh, Sawyer in a dog collar. And Roman, if you got some time, I just want to run through really quickly here the January 31st Sam Houston Coliseum show, if you have a few minutes. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick around. I wouldn't do it without you, buddy, so I'm glad, <laughs> glad to hear. <laughs> uh, let's close out the show, then we're going to talk the end of January here. I was going to start the next show with this, but hey, let's get rid of January and move on to February. It's Paul Bosch and Bill Watts promoting the Houston show, Sam Houston Coliseum, January 31st, 1986. On the card, it's Terry Taylor over Hot Stuff, Eddie Gilbert, a return match, a Chicago street fight after a disqualification or no contest last time around when the Sheep Herders attacked and laid out the Bruise Brothers before a match could even take place. 
This is the rematch here this time, and it's a street fight, right up the Bruce Brothers style Chicago street fight. But what they don't know, sheep herders were ready for them, and these sheep herders defeat the Bruce Brothers here. So it's clear the herders are on their way in, and again, the Bruce Brothers on their way out of the territory. Yeah, and the sheep herders just, what violent matches, you know, they had everywhere they went, Southwest Championship Wrestling, Florida, wherever they were at, the sheep herders created mayhem. So the Bruce Brothers were looking for a Chicago street fight for a little bit of revenge, but what they got was probably a New Zealand street fight, probably a little bit different than Chicago. Uh, in any street fight with the <laughs> sheep herders, I want to see. <laughs> got that right. Also on the card, six-man tag team action, the unusual pairing, we talked about this, of Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Ted DiBiase, and DiBiase's former foe, Hacksaw Jim Duggan all team up. They're going to defeat the team of Dick Murdoch, Buzz Sawyer, and the Kelly Kaniski version of the Masked Superstar here, all on a disqualification. Uh, it's been a little while since I've seen that match, but uh, definitely one I want to go back and check out. Yeah, some fun stuff there, and they keep it going. We get a DQ here, so we can expect more from all of those men moving forward. Of course, Doc and DiBiase feuding with Dick Murdoch and the Superstar, Duggan feuding with Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, so it all makes sense. Lump them all into a big six-man tag there. Also on the card, no disqualification. Loser gets painted yellow. It's Chavo Guerrero defeating Steve Kern of the Fabulous Ones. And so the storyline from last time in the Mexican death match was the Guerreros won that match when the Fabulous Ones bailed out. They took off. that got the 10 count, but not before the Fabs laid out Hector Guerrero and quote-unquote injured him in the ring with a steel chair, leading to a singles match here this time around. It's Chavo Guerrero over Steve Kern. Guerrero wins the match, but winds up being the one who gets painted yellow. The Fabulous One's dumping the bucket of paint over Chavo's head. I have seen this match recently, and it kind of reminds me like a Gallagher concert. You know, there's paint <laughs> everywhere and even in the crowd. Funny you should say that because it's reported that Chavo Guerrero tossed the paint bucket, splashing it all over the fans. And then after that, refusing to cut the planned post-match promo covered in the yellow paint. It's a work, Chavo. You have to wonder, after he got the paint on the fans, if maybe Bosch had some words for him. And he just refused to do his promo. Yeah, it does make you wonder, you know, what if you're a businessman and for some reason you went there in a nice suit and tie or something, you know, and you go home and you're covered in yellow paint. You know, I wonder how that played out. Yeah, maybe it was Mark's jewelry. Maybe Bosch was upset, you know, got a little paint on, on the wrong people there at ringside. And Chavo said, then I'm not doing the promo and, and just walks away. But what a great sight that would have been Chavo cutting a heated, heated promo backstage or over to the side, I should say covered in that yellow paint, wanting revenge yet again, which will be coming up in the month of February. That would have been great, because, I mean, they had, they had a good run, the Guerreros and Fabulous Ones, and it's a shame that the whole country wasn't able to see it. You know, most of those matches were pretty much re uh, relegated to the Power Pro Wrestling episode. Yeah, and I, I think the feud goes on for or six or seven matches, this entire feud in the Sam Houston Coliseum. And every one of those matches is out there besides a tornado tag early on in the feud. And all of those matches, you guys can go check out right now at our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash wrestling grenade, a fun feud that I felt bad because you don't get them all on power pro and you don't get any of them on the mid South wrestling show. So I went back and grabbed everything I could. It's every match in their feud besides one, one of the early matches. And they're all really fun, really good stuff there between the fabs and the Guerreros, a two month long feud that goes about seven shows. Yeah, it, it was good, you know, and I, of course, they mix them up, you know, they have a singles match, they have a tag match, stipulations, you know, they always kept it interesting. Yeah, tornado match, death match, we're going to conclude with a steel cage match, 
Lots of fun still coming here in the month of February. But for now, we're going to close out January 31st. The main event, TV champion Jake the Snake Roberts pinning the North American champion Dick Slater via the DDT to become the new North American champion, or so it would seem. The title change later overturned as Jake used the DDT for the finish. But remember, guys, the DDT was banned in the matchup. So the title then vacated heading into the month of February. Dick Slater was champion for the month of January. It it appeared that Jake Robertson won the belt, the crowd going nuts, but he used the DDT, the one move that he couldn't, to win the title there. And thus, the title becomes vacant, barring a rematch coming up in February. Yeah, I'm I'm not a big fan of titles being vacant a lot, you know, and it just seems with these tournaments and then this one, it just, I don't know, I I know it can lead to some excitement, but when it's done too much, to me, it's not a good thing. Yeah, and you know, I really love the pop, I love this match, I love the story, I wasn't thrilled about the whole title going vacant thing because I had forgotten that, I thought Jake won it here, because I hadn't watched this in years, Roman, I was thinking Jake won it here and then loses it back to Slater later on. But clearly it goes vacant, then we know what happens next. A couple of title changes still to come between these two. But what really caught me off guard was, like you said, there's just so much title vacancy. You know, when you're doing this and going and doing some research, you you realize, oh yeah, the TV title was vacant twice leading into this year. Now this title, the North American title going vacant as well. Just a lot of vacancies all at once. I think I wouldn't have noticed or cared for it as much here had they not just done it with the TV title so recently. Exactly. You know, it's just too much too soon. You know, too many tournaments, too many titles held up and whatnot. It's just too much. Like you said, if they spread it out a little bit, it would have been a little bit better. So to recap, our tag team champions here at the end of January, Doc and DiBiase, having beaten Eddie Gilbert and Dick Murdoch, who was subbing for the Nightmare back on December 26th, North American champion was Dick Slater as of January 1st, but the title now vacant. And the TV champion still Jake the Snake Roberts. Of course, Roberts pinned Dickie Slater in the finals of that TV title tournament taped back on January the 1st. So a brand new start here. It's almost like a reset as we move into the year of 1986 without actually resetting anything. Some quick notes, though. We'll see a second Masked Superstar pop up in the territory and for very good reason. More on that next time on the show. Plus, Hacksaw Duggan returns from New Japan Pro Wrestling and his orthoscopic knee surgery. Talk about that next time, too. But he'll be back in the ring here in the month of February on Mid-South TV. Going to be good to see Hacksaw back on our TV screens and the real Masked Superstar also back in the month of February. Oh, it's always good to see Bill Eady. And uh, this is a time with Duggan, you know, back when he could work. You know, he was a lot different than the guy that would appear in the WWF. Yeah, Duggan will uh, be in the WWF just a year from now, really. Ba- basically, he'll begin airing his vignettes around the uh, February of 87. So Duggan's still got a year here in Mid-South, and boy, does he deliver during that time period, 1986. And he'll be back, like I said, next time we start talking about February of 1986 in the Mid-South Wrestling Territory. Lots coming your way, including more from Jake Roberts and Dick Slater, and of course, Ted DiBiase and Dick Murdoch. There's going to be two Masked Superstars and a whole lot more. Roman, I want to thank you so much for making the time and putting out another edition of the Mid-South 86 Project here on Regional Wrestling. Oh, I wanted to thank you. This has been a blast reliving the glory days of the UWF and Mid-South. And uh, thank you to everybody out there that's been listening and sending in encouragement and the nice words and everything. Uh, We appreciate your support and look forward to doing some more of these. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't say it better. I appreciate all the loyal listeners, everyone who's been leaving uh, tremendous feedback. We've gotten really good feedback on the Regional Wrestling Podcast overall. 
And most specifically, the uh, the Mid-South, a lot of people very interested because a lot of people started tuning in. Cable was more available by the time the UWF went national. And a lot of people have fond memories of this era, 86, 87, in the Mid-South Wrestling Territory. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and of course, a lot of the people followed them, followed the wrestlers from the UWF to the WWF, a lot of the big names. But people that just watched the WWF around 87, 88, they might not have known that a lot of those guys made big names for themselves in the UWF. So it was fun to see Jake before he went to the WWF, Doug and DiBiase, et cetera. There were a lot of big names that made their mark in the UWF before they went up east. Yeah, we got a lot, uh, and I mean a lot of names coming here to the Mid-South Territory as the year of 1986 goes on. Looking forward to all of that, the Freebirds, the Missing Link, and so much more. And I can tell you fans out there, it gets better and better. Like, the best is yet to come, so stay tuned. To quote Jim Ross, business will indeed pick up uh, once we get things going here to the spring of 86. And it's not bad now by any means, but it just gets hotter and hotter, like you said, Roman. So again, thanks so much for being here on Regional Wrestling. Can't wait to have you again. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And all right, guys, that's one month down, 11 to go here in 1986 as part of the Mid-South Wrestling Territory. want to thank you again, Roman, for joining the show. And next time when we come back here to Mid-South, we're going to pick up where we left off, February 1986, as Jim Duggan now back from Japan. Jake the Snake Roberts continues his feud with Dick Slater and so much more. So until next time, again, I ask you guys to follow me, Ray Russell, on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And until next time, I want to thank all of our loyal listeners for tuning in to Regional Wrestling, where we talk the territories. <laughs> <laughs>